0: Think of a of a cut. The deeper it goes, the deeper it hurts. So the deeper of a relationship you have with someone, the more impact they have on you. John 15, verses 1 through 17. Now, the important part of this to note before we dig into what's going on is that Jesus has been talking to his disciples for a while, uh, and we've been at the same night for quite a while, for the last few weeks. This is the same night as the Last Supper, Uh, In the last chapter, we went over an entire conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, minus Judas, because Judas had gone out to do what he was going to do. Um, And this intimate conversation with Jesus and his disciples, while they were in the upper room, eating the Last Supper. But at the end of chapter 14, Jesus invites his disciples. He says, Arise, let us go from here. So when we open up chapter 15, Jesus is still talking to his disciples. He's still giving them information. He's still informing them of what they need to know of, about what's going to happen. As his crucifixion is imminent, he knows what's going on. His resurrection is imminent. But he's trying to inform them of what they need to know. So that they can make it. They can make it through. But this conversation is either on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus will get arrested, or it's happening in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's an interesting point because of how Jesus starts this conversation as they've gotten up from the table. And he starts in John 15, verse 1, and says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser." I bring that up because... What a visual element this would be if Jesus was either on the way or in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because they're looking at all kinds of plant, plants and plantation and growth and fruit. Things that yield, harvest. And that's what they're looking at. And Jesus kicks off this conversation with, I am the true vine. And as they're looking around, that's what they would have seen is vines and branches and trees. Now, this is the last of the I am statements in the Gospel of John. It's noted by many scholars that Jesus makes seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. And this is the final one. And it's the one he tells as they're going on the way to the place where Jesus will get arrested and eventually crucified. And he says, I am the vine. But the other statements go in this order. The first I am statement in the book of John, in the gospel of John, is in John chapter 6, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the door. And a couple verses later in chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. In chapter 11, it's recorded, Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, which we just went through last week, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the conclusion of all of these is, I am the vine. Now, we'll get into why that's important a little bit later on. Now, there is one more statement that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. That's an I am statement, but it wasn't part of his sermon. Where Jesus responded and said, "Before Abraham was, I am." But it wasn't part of a of a lesson or a sermon; it was an answer to a question. But Jesus has made these statements, and they're pretty clear. He is the way to life. He's the exclusive way to life. He is the bread of life. And he is the vine. Now what he says I am the vine, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, that it may bear more fruit. You are always clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So what does it start with? It starts with Jesus pointing out, that he is the vine and that the father prunes the vine. Meaning, uh, now I grew up in a rural area with a lot of farms and orchards. There are apple orchards everywhere. This is what would happen. A tree may produce a dead branch that has no fruit attached to it. Now the farmer if he's good at what he does, will prune the tree and get rid of the dead branch so that the tree can produce more fruit. Because if you leave the dead branch, it will produce less fruit. And so what Jesus is saying is the Father will prune the vine because those who abide or live in Jesus bear fruit. Those who don't suck the life out of the vine. God will chop those branches off. He gets more clear, starting in verse 5, where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and are burned. So now the picture gets really clear. Jesus points out, those who live in him are attached to the source of life. If you don't live in him and you get pruned, you get cast off of the trunk of the tree. Let me put it this way. Anybody here ever buy a bag of grapes at the grocery store? I'm sure you have. Uh, and here's something that I've I noticed over a long time, I at one point was a produce manager, so I noticed this uh, very clearly. Sometimes you would look at a bag of grapes and they would be the nicest bag of grapes in the store, but they would have the shortest lifespan. And some people would come, they would buy the grapes because they looked like the nicest bag of grapes in the store, and they would come back the next day because the grapes had molded over and they didn't understand. Why? But when you look at the bag of grapes, you find that the vine that they were attached to was withered. It was no longer green or a good source. So here's just a grocery tip for you. If you're buying grapes, make sure the vine that they're attached to is still green because it means it has more life left in its source. Now what has happened is these grapes have been clipped off from the root and they still have what appears to be life in them as the vines are still green. But because the vine that the grapes are attached to are no longer attached to the roots, it eventually loses its source of life and water and withers. And then when the vine withers, the grapes wither with it. And this is interesting because going back to Genesis chapter 3, God tells Adam and Eve, that when they eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day they will surely die. But they lived for a really long time after they ate of the fruit. Well, what happened? They were separated from the source of life, and they started to decay. Death is separation from God, and it means that you will start to decay. And so what he's saying here is if you do not live in Christ. Those who do not live in Christ will be pruned and separated from the vine because they get what they want. If You don't want to be attached to God. If you don't want to live, you don't want to have faith in God, you will be separated from him as you wish. That also means that you're cut off from the source of life. And what happens to the dead branches? They're thrown into the fire. But what happens to those that are still connected? They continually receive water from the root and from the vine. And they sustain life. So if you cut a branch off of a tree, it might last for a while. It might seem like it's still got some juice in it, but it will eventually decay. But if it remains attached to the tree, then it will receive its water source and its life source, and it will stay. So this is the picture that Jesus is drawing for us. If you live in him, you are connected to the source of life. If you do not live in him, you are not connected to the source of life, and you will be separated, which is death. And because you have no source of life, you will be cast into the fire. He says, As my, I'm sorry, I, uh, I lost my place there. <laughs> if anyone does not abide in me, he cast. He is cast out, and a branch end is withered. And they gather them, and they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And so what's the test? If you are living in Christ, then his words will live in you. That's this book right here. And if you are on the same page and you have the same goals, then what you ask will align with him and you will get what you ask for. Now, as the Father loved me... I have also loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. And so what Jesus is offering here is not just the source of life, but the love that comes from Jesus and from the Father. If you're connected to him, you receive that love, that source of life, but not just that, joy. Now imagine Jesus is saying this, this verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you that your joy may be full. Jesus is speaking of joy as he knows he's about to be arrested. This is what separates joy and happiness. Happiness is fleeting, it's a feeling. Happiness is something you get when you eat ice cream. It goes away when ice cream is gone, or if it falls out of your hand or melts, makes you sad. Joy is not the same thing. Joy is an eternal gift, and Jesus had joy even when he knew he was going to go through suffering because he understood the end goal. The end goal was to reconcile man to God and to be the bridge that Cause that gap to shrink and to be manageable and for man to get to God because Jesus is the only way to do that. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. He's the one who lays down his life for the world. And as he's about to do that, he knows that he's fulfilling his purpose and in that he has joy Because even through suffering, he will then be connected again to the Father. Which is where ultimate joy lives, in eternity. So these things I have spoken to you that my joy and eternal perspective may remain in you. And that your joy may be full. And he says, this is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now, Jesus is setting the stage. He lays this out for them because they need to understand what's about to happen. He says, No, there's no greater love than this, than someone who would lay down his life for his friends. Now some of them weren't listening as we'll find out because as, some, as they come to arrest Jesus and as Jesus willingly goes and willingly goes to the cross, Peter tries to cut off an ear of a soldier who's coming to collect him. But Jesus is willing to do what needs to be done on our behalf because he loves us. And he says, you are my friends. If you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. So pause. Now we've we've really reached a, a tipping point here. Jesus is really pointing things out to us. Now Think of the relationships in your life. I know in, in the past, I've had different types of relationships with, with coworkers. And my coworkers are different than my friends. My friends are different than my family. There's all types of relationships. Now, when you were a coworker or a boss, for instance, uh, what you care about is the task at hand. It's not personal, it's not intimate, it's we are working together for a common goal. I may have authority over you or you might have authority over me uh, in which I do what you say or you do what I say so that we can achieve the common goal for profit. And that's where it ends. And sometimes you build personal relationships through those things, but are they ever as deep as the ones with your real friends or with your family? No. And what Jesus is saying is, much like the relationships that we have in our lives, there are those who are closer. Now, think of it this way. Imagine a dartboard, a giant dartboard. Now, there are people who aren't even on the board. Like, those darts get thrown in the other room because you'll never meet them. You'll never know who they are. There are some people who hit the wall around your dartboard in that maybe you've seen them, you've seen their faces, but they're not really in your circle. They might shop at Wegmans when you go in there, but you've never said hi to them. You don't know who they are, but you've seen them. So they're on the wall near your dartboard, but they're not in your circle. Then there are some of those people who are on the fringes of the dartboard in the circle. Now, they've made some sort of impact. They've interacted with you in some way. But they're on the outer fringes. They don't make as much of an impact. They have little influence over you. You probably have little influence over them. But they're there. And as you move in closer, you get closer and closer to the bullseye. And the bullseye is often or should be held in regard to your spouse and God. And that's all that's in there. And here's the reason why. Think of a a cut. The deeper it goes, the deeper it hurts. So the deeper of a relationship you have with someone, the more impact they have on you. And so if someone in your circle penetrates deeper into the dartboard, They have more impact over how you feel. They can either be a healer or someone who hurts you even more. Those who reach the deepest depths of the scar, of the wound, who make it to the center of the dartboard, have the most capacity to hurt you or help you. And what Jesus is saying is, I've let you all the way in. Now, for Jesus... He's led us all the way in. He's called us his friends. And because of what we've done, because of the sin in our lives, we had the most capacity to hurt him. And we did. Because of the sin in the world, Jesus was nailed to the cross. Jesus was in the grave for three days before he rose again. Because he let us in as close as he could possibly let us. And he made that, that impact that we had on him cost him Everything. And the reverse is true. If we let him in all the way into the deepest parts of us, he can heal us. And he can mend the wound and stitch us up and get us closer and closer to the father because he's the only thing that bridges the gap between us and him. And so those who reach the deepest part, the center of the dartboard, have the the easiest path to cause you the most harm or the most good. We caused Jesus a lot of harm, and he did it on our behalf so he could cause us the most good. Now, it's, it's true that that's how it works in our personal relationships. It's easier for me to make my wife's day the best or the worst, than it is for anyone else in the world. The way that I look at her, the way that I say something, not just the words I use, but the way that I use them, can cause a fight or a hug. It can cause a good day or a bad day because I'm in the inner circle. And so as we're about to do the work, as we're going to do the work that God has set us to do to preach the gospel and to bring people to Jesus, what we're asking people to do is to bring Jesus into the center of that dartboard so that he can deeply penetrate and heal them. But most people who are at least of the last couple of generations, the reason that they aren't here here is often because the church has left them with the biggest scar. Because they let us in and we hurt them because we didn't reflect Jesus in the way that we should. He says, we're his friends. He's healed us. He's let us in. He says, I don't call you servants because the servants don't know what the master is doing. We've been given insight into what he's doing. We've been told. His plan, we've been given this book. We know the end. So, but I've called you friends for all the things I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain whatever you ask the Father in my name. He may give you. So what Jesus is saying when he tells us to ask the Father and to ask in his name that he would give it to us is that he's asking us to bear fruit, to be on the same page as him, to live like him, to be his representatives in the world, to be the healers, to be the people that bring change, to be the people that bring Jesus to those who don't know him and who need to know him. Because without him, They're separated from God. Without him, they're pruned off of the tree. And the result is being cast into the fire. And so we are his representatives to graft people back into the trunk of the tree while there's still some life left in that branch so that they can know him and get reconnected to the water source. And this is what he says of how to do it. These things I command you, that you love one Another. He really makes it simple. If you want to reflect Jesus, love one another. And previously, he said that the new command he gives us is to love one another as he has loved us. Meaning, we don't look at what the world's definition of love is. We look at Jesus' definition. And Jesus' definition of love is one that is self-sacrificial. One where we are willing to put ourselves second and others first because of our concern for them. This is part of the reason I'm so looking forward to working with hope dealers. Why I'm so looking forward to taking a part in feeding those in need as a church. Because we want to reflect, Jesus, the sacrificial life. We're giving up maybe a night of music to prepare food for those who don't have it. We're going to be taking care of those in need. Love one another as I have loved you. Now that's the end of where we're going to get to tonight in Jesus' speech to his disciples. As he's preparing them for what's about to happen, as he's preparing them for him to get arrested and go to the cross. And he said some pretty potent things. He's called us friends, he's let us in. And he asks us to let him in so that he can heal us and we can bear fruit and we can represent him and graft others into that branch or into that trunk. And he's asked us to love others as he loves, to be self-sacrificial, to put others first. It's a pretty motivating thing. And he's talked about pruning. And maybe in each of our own lives, there's, this happens. As we get closer and closer to God, we realize that things need to go. Because the closer we get to him, the clearer the reflection is. And the more we can see how much we don't look like Christ yet. And the things that need to go and fall off from our life so that we can continue to bear fruit. Because there are things in our life that gets in the way that prevent us from from that. Now, for me, it's clear that one of my problems is food. Just is. Uh, It's easy for me to be lethargic. It's easy for me to not get enough rest. It's easy for me to do things that cause me to lose energy so that it's harder for me to do the work that God has given me to do. That needs to be pruned off of me. That needs to go away and fall aside. There are some who have addictions that they need to give up. There are some who just are attached to the material goods in the world and the comfort, our own personal comfort in our, you know, three-bedroom houses with two, two bathrooms and updating and making sure that our lives here are as comfortable as they can be while we forget to think about the lives we're preparing for eternity. As we get closer to God, as we dig into his word, what we should see are what needs to be pruned out of our lives so that we can bear more fruit and so that we can do more in his service. But lastly, what I want to talk about is the idea, tonight, tonight is communion night. And you might be thinking, well, the Last Supper already happened, right? This is after the Last Supper. They're walking on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Last Supper is where Jesus institutes communion how are you going to bring this full circle? What are you going to do to, to lead us in that direction? Well, as Jesus is giving his last address to his disciples before the crucifixion, he uses the last I am statement. The last I am statement is, I am the vine. If you are attached to the vine, you are attached to the source of life. In the vine, he's talking about grapes. Grapes. It's interesting that the last I am statement is about grapes, which are used to produce wine, which is what you drink for communion or the Last Supper, or in our case, grape juice. It's also interesting that the very first I am statement that's recorded in the book of John is I am the bread of life. And so, book ending the I am statements of Jesus are bread. And wine. And the lesson inside of both of them are this to connect to the source of life, to live in it, to ingest it, to take in the blood of Christ, because the blood of Christ is the only thing that covers our sin. It's the only way to Jesus. And he is the bread of life because he's unleavened. He is without sin. He's the only sacrifice that can get us there. And so by putting on his righteousness, by being clothed in him, we can appear to the Father as Christ because we put on his righteousness. He is the bread. He is the sinless one who bled on our behalf. And that is the point of the Last Supper. That is the point of communion. It is to commune with God. It is to have intimacy with Jesus, to share a meal with our Lord and Savior, and to remember what he did for us, to remember that he is the bread of life, and he is the vine, and it is his blood, his sacrifice, that bridges the gap from us to God. And so tonight, that's the point of communion. We are going to work together. We're going to take the elements together, remembering as we eat the bread that he is the bread of life. He's the sinless one. And because he is sinless, he's the only sacrifice that can atone for our sin. And as we drink the grape juice, we'll remember the blood that was poured out on our behalf as the sacrifice. As we drink that, remember that we are connected to the vine, connected to the source of life. He's the one who can give us life eternal. So what I'm going to do is ask all of you to please stand and As you stand, what we're going to do is have a moment of reflection. Meaning, as we come and grab the elements, we're going to take that time to reflect, to repent, and to reconnect to the source before we take the elements. So what I'm going to do is have you all come forward one at a time, grab the elements, and head back to your seat. And when you get back there, we will take the elements together. So take this moment to reflect, and as you do, feel free to come forward and grab the elements and head back to your seat.